Good morning. My name is also Dan. If you're viewing online and your name is some version of Dan, Danny, Danica, any of those things, we are collecting Dans at this church, and we would love to have you here. If your name is not Dan, we would also love to have you here. You're still welcome. Don't worry. Um, So this morning, uh, we have had my message, like what I was going to, to talk about this morning, planned for quite a while, but also with everything happening in the world, talking about social media and technology in some ways, it feels to miss the mark today, but, but as I was thinking through the situation in the Ukraine, y'all, it's just one of those things that even if we had set the message for that today, even when you have answers with that sort of thing, the answers don't quite do it justice. But as I thought through the message today, sometimes I took a break. I took my social media off my phone the last few weeks because I was like, that'll be a centering thing. Like, So I tried to keep it to essential social media use a little more the last few weeks. But I did have a few breaks where I glanced at at some of the social media sites I'm on. And one thing that I noticed is for all the negative that happens with social media, for all the negative things that we attach to technology, the flip side is I look at the situation in the Ukraine and I was seeing reports that were within a few hours firsthand of what was happening in there in the situation posted from people who are actually living it. Now, it's not just people in the Ukraine, as, as Mike reference, people are struggling on, on both sides. I also saw a post from someone in Russia that was responding to one of the videos, and he's like, hey, a lot of us here in Russia, we're just average, we don't understand what's happening either. So on the one hand, we see negative things that happen with technology and social media. On the other hand, they provide a tool that is really powerful. And it puts us in a predicament of what in the world are we to do when it gets so complicated? When life gets into these gray areas that we're like, how do I manage this? I I want things to be either yes or no, right or wrong. And then we get into things that we go, ah, this is kind of gray. How am I to handle this? But the good news is, We are not the first people to struggle with how to handle a different area. And so we're going to visit my completely made-up friend, Decimus, who lived about 2,000 years ago and was one of the early Christian believers in the city of Corinth. I know you're asking, Dan, why has Decimus got to be a guy? Why can't it be a lady, be the main character in your story? It's because I will completely mess up if I try and write a woman as the main character in our story. So this is about Decimus, and this is a day in his life. You'll see some words flash on the screen. You won't understand them the first time around as we go through the story, but we will revisit them as we look at the principles Decimus is going through this day with. So we're all waking up. If you need a good yawn, this is your moment. Decimus is waking up for the day. Go ahead and stretch. Let your yawn out. If you're on TV, if you're watching online, it's it's time to, you know, at least sit up in bed, okay? It's time to stop laying down as you watch your phone. I know, I know. Sit up, sit up, okay? No falling asleep while I talk. Uh, But I'm going to be fascinating, so it won't be a problem. (laughs) Why did everyone laugh? That wasn't the joke. There will be jokes. That wasn't it. Oh, that's hurtful. So Decimus, he wakes up for his day, and he is an average 
Corinthian Christian now in Corinth. They had some challenges because Corinth is a Roman city that had adopted all the Greek gods. So Perseus has got nothing on them. We've got all these Greek gods, the pantheon there. And among those gods, a lot of the food would get sacrificed to idols. Now that is a little bit of background you need to know just out of the gate. So Decimus, he wakes up, he's getting breakfast ready, and he knows that a lot of the food for breakfast would have come from the market. Normally we talk about the meat sacrificed to these idols, these pagan gods, but Decimus knows that a lot of the food would have been, not just the meat. A lot of the food would have been a tribute to one of these gods. So he's getting breakfast ready. The breakfast probably would have looked something like some, some form of bread, maybe a little bit of cheese. I imagine as he's putting breakfast out for his kids, you know, maybe, maybe he throws an olive on the side and he's like, wait, you don't have all of your food yet? Yeah, yeah. I told you there'd be jokes. It's good stuff. Uh, so anyway, Decimus is putting the food out for his kids. And one of his Christian kids says, hey, I heard one of the kids the other day say that all the food got, their parents got from the marketplace is sacrificed to the god, lowercase g, Dionysius. And, and so the kid says, dad, are we eating food that worships an idol? Because this is a child who is growing up in Jesus as a Christian. So his father gently explains that, that the food that they eat, wherever it came from, that they realize that food in itself is just, it's neutral. That food is something that they eat for substance. And that the food they got from the market, they don't know exactly where it might have been sacrificed or what might have happened with it. So as they eat that food, they know, their knowledge is that, that this food is just food. And he explains to their kids that they know that they worship the one true God that we see in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as dad, they finish up breakfast, so he sets out for the day because he knows he has to buy more food to take care of the family. So he heads out, and as he's traveling to buy food, he passes a temple to Isis. Now, there, there's vendors, they're selling food, but as they sell the food, they are advertised. Like, they're saying, hey, come get this food. It was sacrificed to the goddess Isis. Now, Decimus knows, okay, the way they're promoting this, they know that they are looking at this as a, a worshipful type thing. So Decimus, he knows he won't stop there, even though he has to walk a little further because of how people are associating that food. So he walks further. Now I can imagine him passing a friend and, and, is, and one of them saying, hey, how's the weather? And the answer being, oh, you know, Corinth, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes and it'll change. And Decimus chucking, chuckling at, at that old but still good joke. Uh, maybe he passes a vendor, vendor he knows usually sells food that's been sacrificed to Artemis and the vendor doesn't sacrifice doesn't like promote it that way, but Decimus knows, you know what? I grew up worshiping God, Artemis as a real God. So Decimus says, you know, I know that, that I'm putting my heart at risk of something from my past because of what's inside me if I go there. And I wanna make sure that I stay focused on the one true God. So maybe Decimus walks on from that one and maybe he, he gets to his usual stop, 
But, but the vendor there, as he gets to his usual stop, he sees a Christian from church that he knows is a new Christian and is really struggling in his faith. And Decimus knows nothing at this stop would bother his faith, but this other believer, he knows that believer is new and he knows that that particular shop, that new believer sees him buying that food, that that believer is going to take it as a ticket to slide back in to worship of these false gods. Maybe to get some syncretism between the one true God and these false gods of the Greek church. And so Decimus decides to keep walking past his usual stop. Now he continues, he finally arrives at a shop that he's like, okay, this is one I can buy from. Even still, he knows it's iffy where the food came from, but he has his core knowledge in place that the food itself is neutral, that it is nothing in itself. And so he goes ahead and buys the food at that shop. And on the way home, he thinks about the day. He thinks about his core values. He, he knows that the Greek gods mean nothing, but he also knows that if someone is giving their heart to these idols, that it means everything. And he thinks about how some days, just eating food in Corinth, starts to feel so complicated. Now that night, he knows there is an idol feast to the, to, the, to the goddess Aphrodite. Now he's tempted to go because meat is expensive. And a lot of times the way, the time that an average person could get a hold of, of meat was at these idol feasts. So he and his wife, they're tempted to go, but they know their values and they know that this idol feast is not just meat. It is an act of worship to the goddess Aphrodite. So even though they would have liked to, had what, to have what they could get there, they do not go to the idol feast because they know that in that situation, the overriding truth of who they are is that they believe in one true God and that, only, that God is the only one worthy of their worship. Now, as Mike told us and reminded us last week, there is nothing new under the sun. We see that in Ecclesiastes, and we see some of the same struggles and themes running from Old Testament to New Testament and even up to our current day. Because even though Decimus was dealing in some ways with a different topic, with the meat sacrificed to idols, there is also a reality that as he struggles through a gray area and has to navigate it each day, we also find ourselves struggling through gray areas. So let's take a look at Corinthians and walk through some of the principles that Decimus is dealing with as he navigated his day. Because I believe some of those principles that, that, that were a reality for him are a reality for us as well. See, even though they were dealing with meat, mostly, and if you're a vegan, you think you get a pass on this, but no, they were dealing with all the foods. Any of it could have been sacrificed to one of these pagan gods. But even though they're dealing with that, they are dealing with some of the same principles as Paul lays out. How do we deal with something that can be neutral, but can also be something, depending on how we use it and where we encounter it, that is very much spiritual, very much affects our relationship with God? So we start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and Paul says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we possess, that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who know, thinks he knows something does not 
yet he yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So we're laying down a foundation here. On the one hand, we've got knowledge. To some degree, we think we know what's what, and to some degree, we do. Paul is writing to Corinthian believers who had some genuine knowledge of faith. So to some degree, they've got a solid platform to build on. They've got some knowledge. Now, I can imagine some of the conversations happening in the Corinthian church, though. I I don't know about you. Sometimes it's easy to be arrogant in my knowledge of faith, and I may not intend to do it, but sometimes it's easy to get locked in. Sometimes it's easy to be judgmental. Sometimes it's easy to be too lax. The balance can be tough. So they've got knowledge, but some of their application of the knowledge is not sitting too well. I can imagine some of the people in church going, well, I can go to the idol feast because I would like the the meat, and I know that I'm not really worshiping the goddess Aphrodite as in Decimus' story. But but the problem is it becomes an act of worship, and, and there's a risk of rationalization. Some on the other side might have looked at somebody who was just getting meat from the market or, or food and produce from the market because they needed food, and some people might have been prone to judge them a little too harshly because of that. The knowledge gets complicated alone, so we balance that knowledge with love to get our foundation of how we deal with complicated topics Love is the foundation that Jesus lays when he's talking about the greatest commandments. We love God, we love others, so that gives us our foundation to work with our knowledge on. Now, as Decimus traveled, he had to deal with the effect on self, and in four through six, we see uh, Paul saying, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He would have exchanged letters back and forth to them, and in this church, they've got this these, these struggles of faith, and so he's really, he's meeting them where they are. And he's establishing uh, here a bit of the effect on self and what they know. So they know, they already know about food sacrificed to idols. They know there are many so-called gods, lowercase, that they're dealing with. So as we move into to the passage further, we've got to start thinking about, it's not just knowing but it's what is the effect that comes into play here. Because as Paul's writing, he's writing to a lot of people that had a fairly mature, developed faith. He's writing to some people who've got a fledgling faith that are new, and they've all got to consider, one, how is this affecting me? What am I believing about that food? Because sometimes the very reality of what we believe about something affects the heart of what is happening in it. So Paul's writing to people who have a grounded faith and people who have a fledgling faith, and we're setting up to talk about the boundaries that they put in play in different situations for how it plays out functionally day by day. But important in that, Paul lays out the boundary that that we've just got the one God, 
the Father from whom all things came. And we see that God in Jesus Christ. We've got one God that we see in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is a sharp boundary that is not compromisable in this. So as they look at the effect on self, they've got to consider, okay, how is this playing out in me? Now, as it continues, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still accustomed to idols, uh, so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we eat it and no better, uh, no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. So we've got the food, the sacrifice to idols, the food is value neutral, but the way people perceive the food has an effect on them. So Paul is easing toward our actions affect others. Now, I realize this is a delicate territory uh, of how our actions affect others because we can only, we've got to find a balance in our faith in that. But there is a reality that there are moments when our love for others affects what we decide to do because we know that our actions will have an effect on them. So the Corinthian believers have to start asking, do my actions lead them astray? What is my Christian responsibility to others when it comes to meat sacrifice to idols? Because it gets complicated for the Corinthian church to figure out what to do with this. Now, let's pause and remember our core knowledge. Food sacrifice to idols is nothing, but some of how people use that food and attach meaning to that food is a problem. Now, as Paul writes, we get a guiding value for what is my effect on others. Uh, verse 9, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees, uh, sees you have this knowledge, who sees you have this knowledge as eating and are eating in an idol temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul is laying out, laying out this guiding value as a believer of how are my actions going to affect others? And, and, and the answer is different with each situation, but in this situation, Paul recognizes that this issue of people worshiping idols is so important that they said, hey, if it's gonna be that bad, I'll just, I'll never eat meat again if I have to. Now, Paul is using some exaggerating, exaggerated language. He knows there are situations where eating meat will be fine. But he's emphasizing that, hey, if it comes down to it, I won't even eat meat because I don't want to impact them. Now, there is an overriding truth at play here. Because, and Paul comes back to this in chapter 10. This is a big deal for the Corinthian church. This is something they are dealing with day in and day out. So we've been in chapter 8. In chapter 10, Paul comes back to it. 
he lays out some of the core principles in talking about relations to others, others in 10, 23 through 33, but also in 10, 14 through 22. What he lays out is the issue of these idol feasts. Now, at the idol feasts, you can't really make a good argument that it's about the meat and not about the worship. Because at the idol feast, if you go to one of those, those idol feasts were about worshiping these false gods. You know, just like when we have communion at the church, when we drink and eat the body of Christ, when we partake in that, it is an act of worship. Nobody takes place, nobody takes part in that just because they wanted some crackers. That is an act of worship. And it's the thing, same thing with these idol feasts. People could go just because they wanted the meat, except they couldn't go just because they wanted the meat. Because the very act of being there, of taking part in it, was an act of worship to a false god. So even though most of the core principle, most of what Paul is dealing with is, hey, we've got to consider how this affects others. You know, we've got our knowledge, we've got our love, but, but functionally at some point there's an overriding truth in play. That there are some places that a Corinthian Christian could go that were simply incompatible with their faith in Christ. And same thing happens with, with what we encounter online. There are a lot of value-neutral things we can participate in online. That the way we use them, the timing we use them, in and of itself is neutral, but the way we use them can start to be good or bad. And there are places online, there are activities online that are just not compatible with our faith in God. Now, to try and lay out all the nuances of that would basically be to go to the drawing board and talk through every aspect of our faith because almost every aspect of our lives can be lived out in some way online. But there is a point where there's an overriding truth in play. And in this case, Paul's writing that there is one God. And if these other gods are inevitably being worshipped, if it's not just meat, if it's an act of worship for them, then that is not acceptable. See, for the Corinthian church, there's a real chance of them being lured back in to pagan practices that are not compatible with their faith. So the old becomes new. How do we take what, what has happened through generation, the struggle with the gray area, how do we put it into action with technology, with social media, with the way our world is working now? Now, I'm gonna give a disclaimer. I don't have perfect answers. Only Jesus could give you perfect answers on this. It's complicated when we start incorporating this into our lives, but it's not something that we can imagine away. It is, it is part of our reality now. So we start back with what is our foundation? We've got knowledge. We've got some knowledge that we're working with. We've got knowledge we grew up with. You know, those who are followers of Jesus, we've got some biblical knowledge of right and wrong. We've got some knowledge of what's happening online. So how do we apply that knowledge and how do we connect it with our love 
for others as we deal with it. So here's a few questions. Does it glorify God? Is it neutral? A lot of it's neutral. There's some things that really aren't neutral. Is it antithetical to God? Like, is what I'm participating in there completely incompatible with my faith? And how will the use of this affect my faith? We've got to set up our foundation. So we're back at breakfast again. We've got, we've got a, a set of parents. They're preparing to make breakfast for their kids. Uh, of course, uh, I, I'm going to give mom credit for the pun because who can't, says moms can't make good jokes too? So mom's putting the country crock on the table and says, you better hurry up. You've got school. But um, yes. So anyway, at breakfast, the oldest asks if he can get on Twitch. Now, Twitch is one of the many social media platforms out there. It's, it's one where gamers tend to stream their games. So like so many, there are appropriate things. There are not appropriate things. There's a mix of good and bad. Now, her parents, they've talked to their daughter about this. And what they know is that the content she watches on there, that they haven't been able to monitor it or set boundaries on it. And they know that what she watches on there looks nothing like God. It doesn't glorify God in the language, in the message. And they know their daughter is young and developing as well. So they have set boundaries and it, they know it's not going to glorify God. And they say, no, the, this is not the time for that one. Now, their son's still at breakfast. He says, well, can I get on Instagram for a while? And in this case, the parents have set some boundaries on, issue, on Instagram. You know, they've, their, their son's just old enough for Instagram, but just young enough that they don't completely want to give him the reins on it. So they know they've set up where they're like, son, you can have it, but we monitor it. And they say, okay, they're okay with this because we know what you're watching on Instagram. We know that the things that you're watching are at, at least neutral and often good for your faith. And, and so they say, yeah, you can scroll Instagram, but not right now because it's breakfast time. Because they've set up some boundaries with their kids and that. So as they're establishing those foundations, for both kids, they explain, okay, this is why some things are okay and some things are not. This is our value in Christ. This is how we're founding what we're doing here, why we're making the decision that we're making. Now, my disclaimer is, because some of you are looking at me and going, Dan, you are not a parent. Why are you? My disclaimer is, I realize this is way harder than I make it in my made-up story. I realize, like, the functioning of this gets complicated, but, hey, gray areas are always complicated, so I get that. Now, then we, we look at our effect on self. You know, we've got to look inside us, the effect on our lives. So there's some questions. Am I able to recognize what is destructive versus what is beneficial in this? Can I set healthy boundaries of time and content? And that'll change from one platform to the next. Sometimes you realize, you know what? Even though this seems neutral, the amount of time I'm spending on this is no longer healthy for me. It's time for a break, or sometimes it's even time to cut it off entirely. Some of the last few years, you may have noticed, have gotten uncomfortable on social media. Uh, so, for example, a grandparent that's sharp but maybe struggles in the digital realm, and I'm not saying just grandparents can struggle in the digital realm. We all can. But, but the grandparent, let's say they've got a lifelong walk with Jesus, but, but in digital times, it becomes a little more uncertain who to trust 
what websites to go to, where they're getting good information and where they're getting information that's subtly pulling them away from Jesus. So maybe they get a few healthy people to set, help them set up boundaries of content that's quality, healthy, and helpful. And maybe also this grandparent focuses their attention on websites that are specifically helpful and trustworthy, uh, even while working on becoming more discerning. See, every one of us has got to consider the effect on ourselves for any social media we consume. What about our effect on others? Will my posts and presence negatively impact the faith of others? And can maybe even small changes that I make have a big impact on others' faith? See, it's easy for us to post things that if we stop and think about it, we say, oh, you know what? I'm posting this because I want to and not because it's a helpful thing to post. And often, that is not an easy boundary. I suspect any of us in here active on social media have posted something and five minutes later said, that was a mistake, and gotten it back off the internet as fast as we could. Now, an example, let's say a teenage girl, she finds herself in a Snapchat conversation that gets out of hand Maybe the group's leaving out or even making fun of an old friend who just wants to be part of the group. So the girl decides, because her actions are negatively affecting others and even drawing someone away from Jesus, the girl decides to make the hard choice and speak up to put an end to it. Now, in that case, it would not be easy, but sometimes important. So she stops participating in that line of social media. And the digital choice can open the door for real-life positive potential and even spiritual growth because when people feel loved by us, they're much more likely to be open to feeling loved by Christ. What about our, our core knowledge? What are some considerations in that? Is what I'm consuming a neutral tool and is how I'm using it good or bad? For example, a family sits down together and has a tech conversation because the reality is you can name off 10 social networks and then somebody can name off another 10 that you have never heard of that are up and coming. So a family sits down. They realize some things are good, some things aren't, and some things, depending on the use, can go either way. So the family sits down. They set boundaries for the youngest kids that maybe aren't ready at all for social media or any kind of online interaction yet. Maybe as the kids get older, they set up some, some specific networks that are made for kids and you as a parent have some connections on it. As the kids get older, maybe you adjust those boundaries. Maybe you say, you can get on this network, but I'm gonna have your password for a while. I'm going to help you learn to use this network well. But you establish that core knowledge together. Okay, this is what we know. And this is how we're setting up, planning to use it. And there may be some networks that you say, hey, while you live under my roof, and preferably when you don't live under my roof, this is not okay. And that's okay. Kids, if you're in here and your parents said that, respect it. They love you. They want the best for you. Now, then we look to our guiding value, our love for others. So we ask ourselves, would someone who saw my internet use believe that I loved them? And would someone reading my posts be better for it? Because if they're gonna be worse for it, that's a problem. And am I too distracted even 
to invest in people? Am I feeding other people's internet addiction? So we consider maybe a man who's passionately posting about things he cares about online. That is a good thing. It's good to post, to, to share with people in some form things that you're passionate about at the appropriate way in the appropriate moments. So let's say early on his posts are helpful and loving, but over time you realize that the mood online is growing toxic. As he posts, he's beginning to realize that he's not posting in love anymore. He started posting in anger And instead of trying to help people, he's trying to win arguments. And so in the the midst of that, maybe he decides, I'm not loving them right now. So he decides to take a break, maybe a permanent break. Maybe he says, no, this is not a healthy place for me. But maybe when he's able to recenter, get his heart right again, get his focus right in the way those posts are happening, maybe he eases back into it. Because he knows he's got this guiding value in how he loves people, and he's making sure that the way he's using his social media is matching with that guiding value. And yet still, we've got this overriding truth. Is there going to be any redeeming value there? Is consuming this content incompatible with my faith? Because ultimately, this overriding truth that we are called to love God is an overriding situation. And if that social media is not compatible, if that technology, because technology is constantly changing and I'm certain that we've got a crazy century ahead of us, if that technology is incompatible with my faith, well, then at some point we do have to set a firm boundary. Maybe that boundary is just on a specific use or maybe it's on that technology altogether. So example, a small accountability group, friends who are close to each other, trust each other to their core, they set up a group together to to help guide their internet use. They work together, they set up boundaries. Uh, Sometimes they even set up accountability software because they know there's a certain site or a certain amount of time that is consistently unhealthy for them. And even though a lot of the content is neutral, they realize that some of the stuff out there just isn't compatible with their faith. So they don't rationalize that content, which is very easy to do, even when it's tempting. And sometimes, even on the neutral platforms, they hold each other accountable in how they're limiting that time. But sometimes they also recognize that some things they might be tempted to say online or invest in or watch or even just think about are incompatible with their faith. So because of that overriding truth, they draw a hard and firm line and they say no. So as we deal with technology, the internet, social media, we are challenged with life's gray areas. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. We've always had to deal with gray areas as followers of God. So what do we know about it? How are we loving God and loving others in it? And is what we're doing compatible with our faith in and love for God? Real questions for us to take and deal with each day. And then we're going to love each other enough to be patient with each other when one of us misses that mark, as we will.
Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us and that we have the privilege of loving you. God, we pray that as we navigate gray areas in a complicated world, that you would guide us in the way we navigate those. That when we get lured toward something that isn't going to help us love others, that you would help us draw back from that. That if we're tempted by something that is not compatible with our faith in you, that you would help us to reject that. In the midst of all of it, God, that you would help us to one day at a time continue learning to live lives of faith that reflect you to the world around us. God, thank you for your presence today. We pray that you would continue to be in the very difficult things happening around the world and particularly in the Ukraine today. We pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to the hurt, that you would, God, just be present in this world, even in difficult times, especially in difficult times. We seek you, God, in all things, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.